sure um, over the past few weeks, we must have been told about um, Paul's dealings with the, with the Philippian church. So when the church in Philippi, when they heard of Paul's circumstances in prison, they, they took action. They shared in his trouble. They took up a love, love offering, and, and, which was an expression of their partnership and concern to meet his needs. So they sent it through somebody called Epaphroditus. Um, but it wasn't just the money that they gave. They also sent Epaphroditus to go and serve with Paul, to stay with him in, um, until he was, um, for however long he was going to be in prison for, to help him to minister to his needs and to also to help Paul in spreading the gospel. Um, so Paul, Paul then, um, obviously, Epaphroditus was, was doing this, and then until he got sick and Paul had to send him back home. And he sent him back with this letter of encouragement to the Philippians. So it's not surprising as we get to the end of this chapter that Paul returns to the same theme that has run throughout the entire book, which is rejoicing despite difficulty. That is the entire, throughout every of these chapters, four chapters in the book of Philippians, it's always been about rejoicing no matter what's going on in our life. Despite difficulty, we are called to rejoice. And so Paul is very grateful for the gift that the Philippians have sent to him. He's, he is grateful for the revived concern they have for him. But Paul, how many of us like to kill two birds with one stone? Yeah, you can tell me that. You, do, you like to take advantage of every opportunity. And I do. I just don't, I, you know, if anything going, I want, I want to take advantage of it. So Paul obviously wants to express his thankfulness to the Philippian church, but he also wants to pass a message across to them. He doesn't want that mess, to, he doesn't want that, that opportunity just to, um, sorry, excuse me. He doesn't want the opportunity to just pass him by. So he wants to pass a message across to them. He wants them to know that his contentment was not dependent upon their gift. His contentment was not dependent upon their provision for him. He wanted, he wanted them to know that whatever situation he has found himself, whether he had enough, whether he had plenty, whatever it was, he was content. And so if you want to put a title to this message this afternoon, you could, we could title it Secret to Contentment. In other words, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Contentment is a big word in our society. And uh, there's, um, it's a massive issue in our culture. There's an historian, Arthur Schlesinger, he, he, he made this observation. He observes that our society is marked by inextinguishable discontent. There is always a quest for something better. And what is next? We want a better job with better pay and a better boss. Um, so we want uh, better relationships, a better car, a better backhand in tennis, a longer drive in golf. And we have a propensity to live endlessly for the next thing, the next weekend, the next vacation, the next purchase, the next experience. We are never satisfied. We are never content. We are envious of those who have what we have not attained or accumulated. How true is that of our culture? Well, the Bible has a countercultural way for us to live as Christians. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. For if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. 
So godliness and contentment is great gain. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's how we ought to live as Christians. So is it possible to live this way? That's the question I want, we want to ask ourselves today. Is it possible for us to actually live this way in such a way that our contentment is not dictated by, neither does it fluctuate with our, with our external circumstances, that we are content like Paul, we can say, through him who gives me strength, I can do all things. So Paul learned this secret. And I believe by the grace of God, we can learn that secret too, by the help of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be content? What does it mean to, to be content? Definition in the dictionary says, it's a state of being mentally and emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Having an ease of mind in one situation. Is a state of being mentally and emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Not looking for the, for the next better thing. Having an ease of mind in one situation. is having a deep down soul satisfaction. And for us as children of God, I would just like to describe this as simply as Jesus is enough. It's about having our identity and our security and satisfaction firmly rooted in Christ. Such that whatever our situation Irrespective of our circumstances, we have a deep down soul satisfaction and nothing moves us away from that place. And this contentment, this deep down soul satisfaction is not based on external circumstances. It's not based on what we have or what we don't have. It's based on an internal source. And that source is having a soul satisfying relationship with our Heavenly Father who cares for us and, promise, and promises to meet us where we are. Paul is confident in where his source of contentment lies. And he teaches us to look beyond our circumstances, whether we have much or little. Whatever our situation, we can always rejoice in Christ because in him, we have all that we could ever need or desire. So how can we know this deep down soul satisfaction that does not fluctuate with external circumstances? How can we know this satisfaction, not just on a, on a temporary basis or on and off basis, but on a continuous basis, on a consistent basis. How can we know this and walk in it? And I want, I'm going to look at three things which I believe um, from Paul's life we can learn and, and by the grace of God start to apply to our lives. The first thing is that contentment is from the heart. It starts from the heart. It's a matter of trust. Contentment is a matter of trust. Um, trust is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's an act of worship. It's saying to God, I believe in you. I believe in your unfailing goodness. I believe in your greatness. And no matter what season of life I am, I will find myself in, I will trust in you. That's what trust is. And um. Contentment is something that happens on the inside. It's not something that you would um, that happens on the outside. It's something that, that's deep inside you. You are the only one that will know whether you are content or not. Nobody's going to say to you, oh, you are, con you are a content person. No. You would know whether you are content or you are not. You are the one that lives with the turmoil inside of you. So it's a matter of the heart. It's an inside job. So, 
So trust is a reliance on the integrity and the strength and ability of, of a person. In our own case, is trusting in God. So, Paul, Paul, the way Paul lived his life, we can see that he had complete trust in God. His testimony there in, in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, he says there, not that I'm speaking of being in need, but I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every situation, I have learned the secret of being, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thank you. Thanks. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of very famous verses in the Bible. We like to quote it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context Paul was using it here is in the context of in the, whatever I'm facing in life, whether it's plenty, whether it's abundance, whether it's um, hunger, whether it's need, whatever it is I'm facing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is a matter of trust. So this is, it, Paul wasn't talking about his own human determination here. He wasn't talking about his emotional toughness. And he wasn't talking about his self-sufficiency. But he was talking about his sufficiency in God. His sufficiency was of God. Who gives him strength to face this situation? Paul was confident in the wonderful and powerful presence of God in his life. To give him strength through every situation he faced. He knew, needed to trust and he trusted in God. Only Jesus can generate within us a contented spirit in the midst of everything going on in our lives. So contentment is a matter of trust. It's a matter of trusting God in our hearts. It begins from there. Let's go back to the very beginning, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and God said to them, Oh, wow, look at all the trees in the garden. You have access to all of them apart from one the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you can touch everything, you can eat everything apart from this one. <laughs> and um, yeah, and they were there until the, the devil now came along and um, he says, and, and he just whispers something to, to, to um, Eve's ear. As God said, he created a doubt in Eve's mind. A doubt about the goodness of God. And what happens? Discontent was um, born in their heart. They were not satisfied anymore with what God had said. They wanted to try something else that God said they shouldn't. At that moment, what God said wasn't enough for them. They now chose to disobey God because of the distraction and the lies of the enemy and because of their discontent. And we know what, what came afterwards. It led to sin. And we know the outcome. All humanity suffered as a result of that because of discontent. Because of not trust, trusting what God has said. Choosing to believe what God has said is enough. Lack of trust. It led the whole of mankind to where we are today. So first and foremost, contentment is of the heart. It's a matter of trust. Complete trust in God. And Paul lived like that. In Galatians 2.20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's how we live. 
living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So for us to find true contentment, first and foremost, it begins from the heart. It begins by living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Secondly, it's a matter of the will as well. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice. We have a choice of whether we want to live in true contentment or not. The Bible tells us to keep our life in in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Why can't we keep our life free from the love of money? Because he has said he will never leave us nor forsake us. So that should be enough for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So contentment is about making a choice to look to God who never changes. Not because we have everything under control, but because God has said. This this isn't about denying our feelings, about wanting something when we can't have it. But it's actually about being free, not to be controlled by these feelings. It's not pretending or living in self-denial, but this is about having a peace that comes from knowing that God is in control and is bigger than anything that we could ever face. Many times, this contentment is due to a wrong focus. When we look at the wrong things or, or look at people, then we become discontent. But when we focus on God, then there's little room for us to be discontent. This is, this, we can see this in, in Paul's life. It's in um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 10. He says there, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We could see here that the passion in Paul's life was to gain Christ and to know him. His focus was on gaining Christ and knowing Christ. He wasn't moved by anything else. He knew the reason for his existence and he wasn't distracted by anything else. He knew that he was created to bring God pleasure. And we are created to bring God pleasure as well. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, it says, Worthy are you, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power, for you created for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So God has created us for a purpose to bring Him pleasure, to bring Him glory. But many times we get distracted from that place, and we start to live for other things. And when we start to live for other things, then discontentment comes in because we are not living to fulfill the pleasure of God for our lives. And so that's why we say we, there's a choice. It's a matter of a will. It's a matter of what you choose to give your life to, what you choose to live for that will determine how content you are. Paul's life was not an easy life. We might think, oh yeah, Paul had it easy. That's why I could say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, Paul's life was not easy at all. I think it would be great to get a snapshot of what his life looks like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's just get, get a preview of what Paul's life looked like. Verses 23 to 29. I don't think any one of us would have experienced this kind of ex- 
these kind of things in our life so far. If you if you have, please let me know afterwards. Um, okay. Sister. Okay. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labels, for more, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in, in toll and hardship, um, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's, only, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is best forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Haritus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to begin by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So Paul is, this is Paul's life. This is what he went through. Beatings, hunger, sleepless nights. Has anybody um, received 39 lashes here for trying to spread the gospel? No? no? Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think any of us have ever experienced anything close to this. And he also had wonderful revelation. It wasn't all bad. He had wonderful visions and revelations, wonderful things that he experienced in just um, being a servant of God. So he had it all. So when he's talking about, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me? I think he knows what he's talking about. When he's, when he's talking about in any situation and learn to be content, I think Paul is qualified to talk about that. And we, I think we must listen and, and try to learn from what he's saying to us. Um, and isn't it amazing that um, this, this um, contentment that we're talking about, it's not, Paul says he learned it. So contentment is something that's learned. It's a matter of practice. Wouldn't it be amazing that somebody just says, come forward and let's pray for you to receive the gift of contentment. I think I'll be the first to jump to the front. Um, for someone to lay their hands on me and give me the gift of contentment. But it doesn't work that way. Paul wasn't born with this. He wasn't born with it. It doesn't come to him. It didn't come to him naturally. It, it wasn't given to him as a gift. He says that I learned it. And it's something that we have to learn as well. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something that we learn as children of God. It's something that we grow in as children of God. It's something that we apply, ourself, apply ourselves to diligently as the children of God. And so how, how did Paul live? And what were the things that he did and that we can do as well? And we've mentioned a few of them. But it's important to know that Paul, just a few statements right across this book of Philippians that we, can, we hear Paul say, it just tells us the flavor of what, what his life was, was all about. 
We hear him say things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Issues tells us that Paul was not just aimless and purposeless in the way he lived. His life was meaningful. He lived for Christ. He remembered the cross and he lived for what really mattered. And he, he will say things like, brother, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget the things that, are, that lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Paul did not let his past hold him back. He was someone that always trained forward. Because the thing is, we can't live in contentment. We can't hope to find any form of contentment if we keep looking at past failures or the mistakes of the past. I should have done that, if only, if they hadn't, living with regret. But that is not going to get us anywhere. We need to be like Paul. To be able to say, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget the things that lie behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Whatever has gone yesterday is gone. We can't get it back. But there is tomorrow to live for. And so how do we learn this secret of contentment? How do we grow and walk in it? We have lots of teachers here. And we, we all, you can tell us how we learn stuff. We, learning involves just um, doing things over and over again, doesn't it? That's, you, you take steps, you go, over, you go over it again and again and again, and there comes a point, they give you a test to check your understanding as to whether or not you understood what, what you've been taught. That's how learning works in every area of life. So the thing is, the source of our contentment will be challenged at different times of our lives. There will be different seasons that we go through in life. Life life will ask us questions many times. And the questions will, is Christ sufficient? Is Jesus enough? Is God and his word trustworthy? Those are the questions that life and circumstances, circumstances will ask us. And our response at those times will determine whether or not we pass our test of contentment. A few weeks back, I, was, I found myself asking these questions. Work was really stressful. And there was a family situation that I was dealing with. And I found myself experiencing turmoil deep, deep, deep within. I was unsettled on the inside. I found that my joy and my satisfaction in Christ was being tampered with. And then I, I had to take a stand and remind myself of the truth of the gospel. That my joy and my security, my identity and contentment was rooted in an unchanging source. Who is always good. Who has everything under his control and who has my best interests at heart. And I suppose that's how, that's how we, that's how tests. So that's how we learn. It's through the different seasons of life that we go through. There will be great times when the world is all as it should be. And there will be difficult times Times of unanswered prayers, times of disappointment, difficult seasons in life. 
The question that will, will be asked is, is Jesus enough? Is God sufficient? Is God is God's word, God's word trustworthy? Through all these seasons, the only source of our contentment is God. And irrespective of life's ups and downs, we can be full of joy. Um, Beth, um, Matt Redman wrote this song a few weeks after 9-11. And we do sing it a lot um, in New Community Church. It says, blessed be your name on the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun is shining down on me, when the world is all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Why are we able to sing blessed be your name during the varying season of our life? Why? It's because our joy and our contentment does not depend on our circumstances. Our contentment as Christians is an inside job. It's, it's based on our oneness with Christ and the fruit of the gospel. And so that, that's why, no matter what's going on in our life, that's irrelevant. The source of our contentment as children of God is our unfailing love of a father who cares for us, the one who never changes, the one who will never abandon us, the one who, who looks out for us. And so we should not get distracted by things of this life that will fade away. We should not get distracted by the pressures of the things that we see and allow ourselves um, to, to allow ourselves to be um, to, our focus to be taken away from the facts that we have someone there who is worthy of all that we are. And so Paul then moves on to talk about um, partnership. Going on to verse, verses 14 and 16 now. And he says there in verse 14 and 16, Yes, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So the, like you said in the beginning, the church in Philippi sent Paul help when he was, when he was um, in prison. So there was a reciprocal relationship between Paul and the Philippian church. And that's what partnership is all about. So spreading the gospel is a team effort. It's not something that is done by one person or a group of people. It's not Joe's job or James's job to spread the gospel. It's a team effort. Everyone in Christ has a role to play. We are partners in the gospel. It tells us in Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. We are partners in spreading the good news of Jesus. And being in partnership does not mean it's not something that's passive. It's an active thing. It involves participation. It involves the giving of our resources, our energy, our time, and our money. And the church of Philippi, the, the church of Philippi, they display their partnership by action. And we also demonstrate our partnership in the gospel by action. When we support the ministry of the gospel, the fruit increases to our credit. Like he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that I seek the fruit that increases your credit. And then God receives our gospel partnership as a sacrifice pleasing to himself, as a fragrant offering acceptable to God 
in verse 18. And then God is committed to our needs with all of his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we, we do quote this verse a lot. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's another famous scripture. Yes, he will. But this is in line with us giving and receiving. It says there, as the church in Philippi, while being a blessing to the, to the furtherance of the gospel, that God will supply their needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then the Bible encourages us in many ways to have generous hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, eight, verse 6 to 8, it says there, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, that's the same word again, um, contentment, having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound to every good work. And so we don't just give to support the gospel when we have enough or we have surplus. We actually, as matured believers, we discipline ourselves as partners of the gospel to give for the further advance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, irrespective of whether we have enough or don't have enough to meet our own needs. We can never outgive God. He will supply every of our needs. And it's very comforting to know that God is going to get all the glory at the end of it all. And Paul runs up his, um, the, his letter in verse 23. He says that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He ends his letter with grace. In chapter 1, he began it with grace and he ends it with grace. And throughout this entire letter, it's about grace, receiving grace, resting on grace, walking, walking out grace in our lives. And so how do we respond? How do we respond to this amazing grace of God in our lives? And today we, we are um, talking about contentment. And as I was, um, this morning, as I was just looking at, at the final part of this message, the, the response changed, and, and I believe it's just tied in with what Jesus spoke to us about during worship. There are two groups of people here that need to, to respond. If you're a Christian... And if you're not a Christian, it's quite simple. <laughs> if you're not here, if you are here, you don't know Jesus yet. You don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then content, contentment for you, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it will be hard. Because Jesus is the true meaning of con contentment. Without Jesus, we can't really have contentment. He's the one that gives meaning to life. He's the one that makes life worth living. And so if you're here, you don't have a relationship with him, you don't know him, it's worthwhile to give him room in your life. Why don't you say, Jesus, why don't you allow him, just test, test it. See whether you can find true satisfaction in this person that we're talking about. So many of us have given our lives to him, we have surrendered our hearts to him, and we know what it means to live a life full of peace, full of joy, irrespective of what's going on in our lives. We have, a, we have the love of a father, who cares for us? We have tasted and we have seen that God is good. So you need to take that step of tasting and seeing that God is good. And if you are here, you are a Christian. How, how can we respond apart from look at Jesus? That's all we can do. 
I had a different, different response, but this morning the Holy Spirit said to me, it's, how can we be content except we keep looking at him? The more we look at him, the more we see him, the more content we're going to be. So it's not about striving or, or I'm going to do better, I'm going to work harder, I'm, going to, I'm, 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 not, going to, I'm not going to desire that. I'm, no, it's not, it's not about self-effort, but it's actually about falling in love with Jesus more and more. It's about surrendering, like Luke shared with us when worship. It's about surrendering. What, did it, what is in your life that you are holding so dear? What, what is so precious that Jesus is not worth more than it? And so that's, that's our response as children of God this afternoon. As we conclude this book, as we look at, let's look at Jesus afresh. Consider Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? What does he mean to you? What does he mean to you? Consider his sacrifice on the cross for you. Consider everything that he's done. And what is what more in life? What is, what is it that you can give or lay down at, his, at the foot of the cross?